What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, my new book, Gut Feelings, is for pre-order right now. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. If you want to learn more about the telehealth clinic and becoming a patient, you can check it out there. The books, more information about the podcast, there's tons of free resources for you as well. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, we are giving away free signed books of your choice If you head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there, tell us what you love about the show. And every month, no matter when you listen to this episode, my team and I will be randomly picking winners and I'll reach out to you and I'll ask, hey, which book you want? I'll sign it to you and we'll send it out to you. Again, every month we'll be picking winners randomly. So all you have to do is leave an Apple Podcast review. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole and screenshot, send me a screenshot of your Apple podcast review there. Either way is completely fine. We'll be going through my messages every month as well as the Apple podcast reviews themselves and picking winners. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. Her name is Karen Aldad. Coach Karen, founder of With Enthusiasm Coaching, is a personal and executive coach working with world-class leaders, high-profile athletes and media personalities, and major corporations. Among Eldad's most notable clients are Nike, Estee Lauder, and Deutsche Bank. Her work and key research on the superstar paradox and the rebranding of the midlife crisis has been featured in numerous media outlets, including the Harvard Business Review, CNBC, Forbes, her TEDx talk, You Don't Know, What You Don't Know, has been viewed countless of times. She holds gold standard international coaching federation credentials, as well as advanced academic degrees from the London School of Economics and the University of Jerusalem, and lives in Austin, Texas with her husband, Ryan, and their many pets. All right, let's get right to it. This is Karen Aldad's Art of Being Well. Karen, my friend, where have you been all my life? It's been too long. I know. It's actually sad. I was thinking how sad that we met each other only in later in life. I wish Aww. I'd met you sooner. I feel the same way, my friend. And, and like this past couple of years with coming out of the pandemic, it's been weird not seeing, not being in the same group of people as much in person anymore. Yeah, well, that's going to change. Let's so. change that. Let's change Let's that. Let's do it. So, I mean, speaking of changes, you moved from New York City to Austin, Texas. How's that going for you? We did. Well, it's actually our two-year anniversary here in the city, which is amazing. You know, we moved on a whim in the middle of COVID because we lived in the what used to be the most touristy street in Dumbo, Brooklyn, like where everybody takes that oh, shot yeah. in With front the of the bridge. bridge. Yeah, I know. And that it. became a complete ghost town. And it was so depressing after six months that I said to Ryan, my husband, why don't we just check out Austin for a little while? At least we can eat outdoors, right? And it's Texas. Maybe they're a little more relaxed. 
<laughs> when we got here, we realized almost immediately this wasn't going to be temporary. And that was that. We bought a house within six months and we're here to stay. I love it. It's a beautiful part of the country. I love Austin, Texas. Have you ever been to Picnic before? If not, you have to Yes. Are you kidding? And I'm actually having breakfast there tomorrow with a dear friend. I love it. Get there, fish tacos. For not for breakfast. We'll, I, for I was lunch. just gonna say I don't I think that might be aggressive <laughs> for breakfast, but for sure we'll get the fish the tacos. The next the next lunch or dinner, get the fish tacos. <laughs> I will send you a picture, my friend. Oh, thank you. I I it's been a while. So I want to start with framing the conversation with how you got into your work. I'm fascinated. I know people are going to be fascinated to learn about your journey. Well, you know, Will, the reason I think my journey is fascinating is because it's very applicable to a super narrow stretch of society. I'm a recovering overachiever. And I know that many people define themselves as overachievers. I've read studies about this. As a matter of fact, these are people who achieve above and beyond, but about 8% of the population really do fall in that category. And I think we're super, super aggressive type A people. And I like to say recovering because I truly am formerly super aggressive type A person. I like to think at least that I am because I burned. I completely crashed and burned out in my mid-30s. When I started to realize one by one that every system I had chosen for my life and everything I'd created, and this is not an exaggeration, was a lie, was just not a true, pure choice that was aligned with self. It was a choice that was aligned with status or social climbing or wealth or any kind of external that I was pursuing up until that time. And I know a lot of people identify with that, especially in our younger years, because that's sort of what we're conditioned to optimize for. And so I started to go through, well, you know, all the cliches, divorce, complete and utter financial loss, sleeping on a friend's sofa for six months in my mid-30s. That's kind of a painful blow to the ego. A redefinition of self, a very, very hard time finding another job, a career transition that followed that. And as I struggled, I think it was the fight of my life, really. I started to realize what I was going through and it was a complete rediscovery of myself. It was the loss of a former identity. And while that was super painful, Brene Brown discovers it in her, I think, best piece of writing as the midlife unraveling. Mm -hmm. I felt that too, but it completely changed my life. And when I did that for myself, I wanted to do that for everyone else. That's how this coaching career was born. Wow. So was it, it what I'm hearing is that it really was these external pains, these painful seasons of your life that brought about this transformation. Is that fair to say that? And I've seen that so many in people's lives with patients specifically, the, these painful circumstances they've used to really alchemize into something beautiful. And I think, you know, we have common teachers over our life of the differences, the way that evolution can happen is either going to be through pain or yeah. proactive transformation, right? That's right. So t tell me about that. What did that look like? Well, you know, I use scientific assessments in the beginning of my work. They're nowhere near your medical assessments, but they are scientific behavioral assessments. And I always say that there are only two ways people change, trauma or coaching. And <laughs> that's the truth. And coaching, of course, here is a euphemism for all forms of behavioral change. Uh, mm -hmm. You can pick your style or the style that works best for you. You're absolutely right about this alchemizing into something beautiful. But first, it feels like the walls are closing in on you. You cannot people please for another second of your life. If you've been a caretaker all your life, you are starting to drop that baggage and it's starting to really grate on you. You begin to feel like you're taken advantage of. You start looking at these choices that you've made that looked so good on Instagram and actually feel terrible on the inside. And there's nowhere to run anymore. There's nowhere to run anymore. And that's when change has to happen. That's what I also call trauma because the truth is it doesn't have to be a giant chaotic event, a crisis. It can just be a moment where you're fed up with being fed up. It's a choice ultimately, even th through the painful period, right? I mean, I see people, they can become bitter, they can become resentful, they can become have a sort of a victim mindset and not really grow much from the pain. Do you see that as well? Or do you feel like pain yes. will always be a lesson? No. There are two options. One is nihilism, and that's just surrendering to the pain. It, it, bitterness is a form of cynicism. Cynicism is a form of nihilism. And uh, the other is a reverence, an awakening to just a deep appreciation for this life. Now, if you think about it, well, let's just talk about this in really big philosophical terms. Ultimately, I personally believe that life is 
meaningless. There is no real scientific reason for us to be here or to be here longer than we need to be. But that's also a beautiful thing. The knowing that this is finite is also the recognition of what an enormous opportunity we've been given. So you can really take it both ways. Mm -hmm. You can go with, as Mark Manson famously titled his second book, which, by the way, is a masterpiece, Everything is Fucked, A Story About Hope. <laughs> you can really look at it as everything is fucked, or you can look at it, this is that that's exactly why we need to expand and really enjoy our time here and do our absolute best to enjoy our time here. I have come to believe that that is the most important thing we can do with our life. Mm-hmm. Want to hear something that's truly alarming? Since 2020, two out of three people report feeling extreme stress and it's affecting their sleep and it's affecting their overall health. Enter Just Calm, the breakthrough new stress and mood support formula from Just Thrive. Yes, the same Just Thrive that produces one of my favorite probiotics. I've had the founder of Just Thrive on twice, Tina Anderson. She is a wealth of information. I've had their microbiologist, Karan Krishan, on as well. So definitely go and listen to those two episodes with the Just Thrive team because they're amazing. All about gut brain axis and all the things you need to know about gut health and microbiome health. Here's what makes Just Calm so radically different from anything you may have tried before. It's the first retail available supplement to feature the proprietary psychobiotic strain known as BL1714. Psychobiotics are a new class of products that utilize beneficial bacteria to support your best mood, cognition, and emotional health. And BL1714 is the most heavily researched and scientifically verified strain available. In fact, numerous studies have shown that BL1714 can be an absolute powerhouse in the fight for your mental well-being because it quickly promotes a healthy response to everyday stress, encourages a steady, serene, and balanced mood, drives mental clarity, focus, and alertness, and even supports great energy and optimal sleep. If you're ready to up your game and feel your best, you can get 15% off this dynamic duo bundle or any other scientifically proven products when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code WillCole at checkout. That's justthrivehealth.com and use code WillCole at checkout for that 15% off. People ask me all the time, if they don't have a functional medicine doctor, if they're not one of my patients at the telehealth center, What are some direct-to-consumer labs that they could run to learn about their health? Something that I have loved for years is Inside Tracker. Because people age at different speeds, and the date on your license may not represent your inner biological age at all. So if you're looking for ways to extend your health span, if you're interested in longevity, if you want to slow down the accelerated aging process, the keys to health and longevity and health span run in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to improve your metabolism, reduce your stress, improve your sleep. If you track your sleep, you can see your sleep scores improve based on these labs and optimize your health for the long haul. It was created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and your fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. What I love about Inside Tracker is you'll get a daily action plan. So it's not just a bunch of lab data and it's there's no like, okay, what do I do with this information? This action plan will give you personalized guidance on the right exercise for your body, the right nutrition and which foods you should focus on based on your labs and the right supplements to take for your body. It's bioindividuality at its best. So if you don't have a functional medicine doctor, this is freaking amazing and if you do end up becoming one of my patients, I love going over this information on one of the initial telehealth consultations. What I would also recommend is add what they call Inner Age 2.0. You can add Inner Age 2.0 to any plan for a definitive calculation of your true biological age. You can actually see how you're aging from the inside out. You're going to be shocked with the results. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. All you have to do is go to insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well that's insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well or you can use code will cole at checkout to get 20 percent off the entire inside tracker store so would you describe your philosophy in life at this point more of a stoic perspective is that fair to say probably i think many people would see it as more of a stoic perspective but i like to think of it as a compassionate or a deeply 
self-interested for serving others stoicism. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit further than maybe Marcus Aurelius originally branded it. Because stoicism, again, just like nihilism, it, it can go both ways, right? Mm-hmm. You can take it too far. But when you really love yourself and you truly come to that understanding for a reverence, ultimately not just for yourself, but for life, mm-hmm. stoicism goes in a very positive direction. Yeah. And I'm curious to to pick your brain about this of like all is meaningless life. And even if you think about this and looking at ancient texts and King Solomon even saying that, I mean, you talk about the guy who was known to be the wealthiest, had everything and said, it's all meaningless. So is that ultimately where you're at in your life? And how do you find meaning and beauty within the meaningless? So I've come to... The most profound realization I've come to, I think, is just accepting what is, which means you don't need to respond to many complex problems with a solution. You don't need to approach every single situation in life as good or bad. There doesn't need to be this weighing. That's the meaninglessness of which I speak. It's actually much closer to acceptance, surrender. Now, that doesn't actually, by default, reduce your desire to work or create in this life. It just means that if you're going to create in this life, you're going to create like you mean it. You're only going to put that energy that was once reserved for reactions towards proactive creation. This is also where sensual pleasure comes in. The reason I still adore beautiful things is not because I think they have any meaning, but because I enjoy them. That's it. (laughs) Doesn't need to be more complicated than that. It's purely sensorial. I don't need to justify why I enjoy, you know, buying clothes on Goop. (laughs) You know? (laughs) We've all been there, right? We've all been there. We have? Yeah. So, and, you know, I I hear these concepts, these ancient concepts, and I've meditated on them for years of my life, and I'm getting to it more and more. I'm understanding it, I guess, on a deeper level beyond beyond just intellectually, but just truly know it, is the concept of dying before we die. It's like yes. an ancient Eastern concept, yes. but you, different cultures around the world. That's kind of what you're saying too, right? It's kind of having a reckoning on why you're here and finding the beauty in the here and now. Absolutely. So I've been writing a lot about the midlife crisis, as you know, Will. I'm working on my book, which is coming out next year. By the way, the title is still in dispute. Maybe your listeners want to chime in and give us their opinion. But it's about the midlife crisis. And I have long argued that the problem with the midlife crisis or the awakening in the midlife crisis is not the fear that you are dying. It's Mm. that you are actually dying. What is happening in the midlife crisis is an identity that has pushed you to where you are can no longer serve you any further. And you know it. That's why those walls feel like they're closing in. And that's why people behave in such rebellious ways. Not, I don't think people are rebellious by nature overall. But again, they will start to shackle, a break free from the shackles because they're beginning to feel like the former identity doesn't fit anymore. Carl Jung is the second person who talked about midlife crisis. The term was actually coined by Elliot Jack, who is a, another psychologist from 100 years ago. And they both found the sequence of the midlife crisis to be almost identical to another life stage, adolescence. Mm. And think about what's happening in adolescence. We Mm. are physically too big to continue to see ourselves as children. So it is another form of death. Mm. Yeah, it's it's the next phase of someone's life. Now, I know you talk about, I'm glad that we're getting into this right now, is that the midlife crisis as a whole needs a makeover. So we're going to talk about these concepts and what that means. But before we get that, like what for you and the research that you've done, when is midlife? Because I feel like that's in dispute. When I think of like some people sadly pass away in their 60s, 30-year-olds don't see themselves as being midlife, but let's go there. What's midlife? Okay. So You're right. There is a lot of discussion around this because I've done the research and that doesn't just mean internet searches. I've read several books and they usually put it between 35 and 55. 35 is the earliest that I've read for the midlife crisis, 55 being the latest that I've read for the midlife crisis. I would rather put it between 40 and 50 for a very simple reason. Most of us have less than a 10% chance of surviving beyond 90. Mm -hmm. So. If we're just going for a midpoint, an average, 
that's where you're going to fall. Okay. Usually think or think of it around approaching or around 45 at the apex or the apotheosis of the midlife crisis. Got it. So that's the first thing. Now, having said that, I've definitely, like you, had clients who think of themselves as not going through the midlife crisis. And this actually is a first stage. It's denial, which means they've resisted the midlife crisis for a very long time. That does not mean that they will be absolved psychologically and biologically. It's inevitable. Mm, got it. So we're talking about mainly in your mind, the peak of it all, at least. So it can mean a sort of a crescendo, maybe beginning in the late thirties, but yeah. really between 40 and fifties. But you mentioned like many of us won't live to 90. It's true. It's rare. I look at my grandma who just turned 99 years old oh, God and she has no friends. All her friends passed away. I mean, could, yeah, I, I mean, it's sad to see. It's beautiful to see this beautiful life. But I can only imagine the generation that you are, grew up and did life with are all gone but her. Well, she has you. She has me. <laughs> and I also think that that is God's grace. It's just a graceful way of allowing you to slowly exit when you mm -hmm. are meant to exit. So there are two ways to see that situation always, right? Mm -hmm. My grandmothers passed away at 96 and 94. We think, by the way, because they'd both lied about their age most of their life. <laughs> Talk about avoiding a midlife crisis. I come from a long line of midlife deniers. <laughs> and no, this is a true story. One of my last, her last hospital visits, my grandmother went with her eldest daughter who was 54. And the doctor said, how old are you, ma'am? And she said, 60. Her daughter corrected her and said, mom, how can you be 60 if I'm 54? And she said, you <laughs> shush. Oh so, I mean, God bless them. And we really ultimately hope to just live with grace and to live with our faculties and to leave when we mm. are ready to leave. Yeah, truth. And one of the most missed things that I see, and it's so simple, is electrolyte imbalances. If your electrolytes are off, it's going to create things like fatigue, brain fog, cravings, migraines, headaches. Fundamentally, I would recommend for everybody to make sure they're supporting their electrolytes. The problem is a lot of electrolyte supplements and drinks out there are filled with tons of junk that I would not recommend. What I've loved for a long time is Element. Element is this amazingly tasty electrolyte drink mix. I haven't met anyone <laughs> that doesn't love Element. And it has everything you want and nothing that you don't because it has this science-backed electrolyte ratio, a thousand milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. All my telehealth patients that listen to the podcast will know that I recommend Element in their protocols. Electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance in the body. Element can help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleeplessness, and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiencies and imbalances. Right now, Element is offering the Art of Being Well listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets completely free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. We all have one of those, right? My, I, can't even, I don't even know if I can pick a favorite flavor. I love their lime one. I like their spicy ones. They have like these sweet, spicy ones that are really great as well. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash Will Cole. This deal is only available through this link. So you have to go to drinklmnt.com slash Will Cole. That's drinkelement.com slash Will Cole. We care so much about the quality of the food we eat and scrutinize the chemicals in our body products, personal care products, why don't we do the same with our vitamins? Meet Ritual, a company that was founded by a skeptical mom who didn't trust the multivitamins out there. She believed we deserved better. Today, Ritual has first-of-its-kind traceable supply chain so you can see where all of your key ingredients come from and why they are there. They don't just say, take our word for it. They show you the proof. Like their flagship multivitamin, which has USP verification and a peer-reviewed and published clinical study. All their products are vegan and non-GMO and third-party tested, so you know you can trust them. I personally take Ritual every day as my multivitamin. I have for a long time. 
It's a great all-in-one formula. Ritual's multivitamins were specifically formulated to help fill nutrient gaps in the diet with key ingredients like vitamin D3 and vegan omega-3 DHA. Their delayed release capsules are designed to be gentle on the stomach, and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things super fresh to help avoid that fishy aftertaste common with most omega-3s. All of Ritual's products are vegan, non-GMO, and gluten-free. Ritual is a certified B corporation that believes doing good for your health also means doing good for the planet. It's delivered straight to your door each month, so you never have to worry about running out. It's also easy to snooze when you need to. Start a vitamin ritual you can actually trust. To get started, visit ritual.com slash today and get 10% off your first three orders. That's ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash willcole, ritual.com slash willcole to start your new ritual today. So let's talk about this midlife crisis. What, how are we getting it wrong in our culture? Why, why do we need a midlife awakening, as you say? I think we're getting it wrong because it's not really a crisis. You wish it was a crisis. Most people wish it's just one rude awakening. Okay, we've had a, a, a moment of catharsis. Now I want to move on with my life. It's not. It's a sequence of events. And not only is it a sequence of events, it's a sequence of events spread over a very long period of time. It's actually a midlife process. Mm. And that's why Brene was absolutely correct, in my opinion, to call it a midlife unraveling. And why I like to call it a midlife awakening, because I also like to signal to where this is headed. It's going to fall short of your expectations in the beginning. I'm sorry to say, but all midlife crises, and I have now coached hundreds of people going through this stage of life. It always feels like falling off horse first. It's very unpleasant. It's filled with questioning. It's filled with aggressive answers if you're willing to go there. But you will come out changed and changed for the better. And so the the misnomer is in the word crisis, unless, of course, we go with the Chinese definition, which is crisis equals challenge plus opportunity. Mm. Most of us don't think of it that way. We just think crisis. Um, also, again, it's not a rude awakening, not one rude awakening. It's a very long series of struggles in which you're going to essentially go through a process. Now, I want to startle you with probably my most interesting finding to date. I don't believe that it's an irregular process because first it's very similar to adolescence mm. as a psychological process, but, but I do think it is a form of dying. And since we are dealing with a form of death, the death of our former identity, mm -hmm. what midlife crisis is really like is grief. Yeah. And as you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross defined grief as a startlingly fast or slow move through five stages that are, have been so accurate. I've never seen them done differently. Denial, anger, depression, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm -hmm. And that's how I see today the midlife yeah. crisis. It's really very, very similar to the process of grief. Wow. It makes complete sense. I mean, it's people, maybe I've seen people hit that age and they grieve all the things that they thought they would have accomplished by that time, but haven't, or their looks, their bodies changing. Yes. That's what they're grieving, right? Yes. And you know, that's what will conjure up the first level. And that's denial. How many people have you heard say, I don't feel 48. I don't look 48. <laughs> yeah. That is so unbelievable to me because yesterday my hairstylist who turned 38 said, I don't feel 38. And I turned around <laughs> and I said, sweetheart, you are. The reason I argue is not because I'm not saying that you look fantastic. It's because if you say that, your implication is that 38 is old and that 38 is, I don't know, ugly or unattractive or waning. And so that's what's making you resist it. But yeah. what if you just, I am 48 or I'm actually going to be 45 next month. <laughs> so what if we just live with it mm -hmm. rather than deny it. And that will bring you to the next level. You're not going to go down so easy. You think your ego is just going to die. No, you're going to start getting angry. And this is when we move into action. Usually when we hire coaches, when we get very proactive, when we really, really move into defiance, we get Botox or anything like that, right? That's always acts of defiance. And then you'll gently, but surely move into the next stages until you're finally ready to let go. And can one 
I'm assuming you, through your method and what you've learned through your research, you would advocate someone to go through that process with more grace. How bad can someone make this transition, this grieving process? How bad can they make it? What have you? I'm sure you've seen some crazy stories coaching thousands of people. What's it look like for somebody that really resists this grieving process and does it in a more maybe an unhealthy way? It looks like a shitstorm. <laughs> it does. It, it does. And I've described several of these. So some of them are even fresh in my mind. One of the most aggressive cases was a woman whose first indication of the midlife crisis was realizing somehow discovering that her husband had a complete double life, then a breast cancer scare, then an invisible illness that started to get more and more aggressive, then a traumatic accident that she got into. I guess she was very, very overwhelmed at the time. And by the time she reached me, she was also talking about extreme aggressive responses of jealousy to people around her experiencing success. Believe it or not, that's also something that starts to exacerbate in your mind. So you really start behaving in a, in a more and more erratic way. That's a shitstorm. Mm -hmm. It's an aggressive shitstorm, but it's a very common shitstorm. And that's one of the ways that people are going to start experiencing this. And the more you resist it, the worse it's going to get. That's not a threat. That is always just my statement is pretty simple. The universe will win. Right. You will not out. You will not beat time right time will win <laughs> it's like that that saying that cliche but what you resist persists persists and i course. see that so much there's the where there's a lack of grace there's the inner resistance there's typically going to be compounded chaos in your life yes and you, now that brings me to the point about grace you know i started out with everybody's gateway drug tony robbins and <laughs> i cultivated the exact opposite approach i don't not respect his work i very very much do of course but as especially as a gateway drug anyone who brings you closer to enlightenment is very worthy but in my case i thought that people are dealing with grief and just as i would never be harsh with a person who has lost a loved one I will never be harsh with you okay. going through a very tough process. Right. It wasn't easy for me. And I definitely didn't want to be reminded of how off I was. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you say, instead of freaking out, instead of resisting it, to really see this rumination as this wake up call that we've been waiting for. What do you mean by that? The truth is you've been wanting to break free for some time. It's not happening to you. You have been calling this for quite some time. This is probably the toughest realization of all because many people will say to me, but Karen, I didn't call this into my life. I'm not saying it's your fault. Mm -hmm. I'm saying you participated in its creation. Now, I want to make a very important caveat here. Personally, this is a very complex question. And when it moves into true grief, true traumatic events, I'm not really inclined like some other teachers are to embrace all difficult circumstances in that shitstorm pool. So real grief is real grief and must be dealt with as real grief. I don't really put that in that category. But in other cases, you got fired from the business that you created with your own two hands. Your marriage is over. You are really engaged in numbing behaviors that have become so aggressive, it's time to face them, like alcoholism, like workaholism, like real forms of people pleasing, which I like to call lying with a spritz of Febreze, which is the best line ever. I got it from a coach named Lauren Zander. I just love that because people pleasing is lying. It's lying all the time, lying to sustain your position. At some point, you really get so fed up with it that the systems around you have to collapse so that you mm. can be free. Wow. So you're using this time in life to really undo and let go of the things that weren't serving you. Yeah. So like an adolescent who doesn't want to be a child anymore. Right, right. And I'm assuming you would still, you said either pain or loss or grieving or coaching. So people don't, people that are in their 20s and 30s that are thinking, oh man, I'm not in midlife necessarily, but I know I'm a people pleaser. Like what would you, what would you say to those people? I would say that it's never too soon to tackle those demons. In fact, it's never too soon to begin the path of integrity, to really start inquiring your mind first to learn how to think, not reactively. And that is extraordinarily useful. It won't make, I think, the transition easier. It's still going to happen. By the way, for the record, I went through my midlife crisis to my mind in my mid 30s. Okay. So it can happen <laughs> if you're willing to do that. 
And you also need to take the time to cultivate real self-compassion and a true understanding of yourself. And for that to happen, you're going to have to start being aggressively a truth teller. Not your truth teller. I'm going to live my truth, the truth. Really inquiring to the place where you relax your righteousness mm. and start moving from a place of genuine understanding. Wow. Relaxing our righteousness. Beautiful. So how do we do that? How do we pivot? You talk about pivoting. You talk about how do we, how do we start this inner journey to be authentic and to live in truth? The first step is the hardest, and that's to admit that you're not living the truth. Hmm. To admit that you are, this is the generic term, that you are unhappy. To admit that you are suffering, as the Buddha would say. The Buddha would use the word suffering. Mm -hmm. If you have really sustained anxious thought for a very long time, if you have sustained anxious patterning for a very long time, and if the results in your life do not match or reflect what you truly desire and think you're capable of, there's only one person to point at, and it's you. You have accepted unhappiness in your life. Now, again, this is not me saying that you are responsible for your circumstances, but you are responsible for your thoughts and feelings and actions towards those circumstances. And you can. Believing that you can't is to willingly, knowingly keep yourself away from control of your destiny. To embrace that is to put yourself back in the driver's seat of your own life. So I find it far preferably, far preferable just as a thinking system. The first and hardest thing to do is to admit that. Why? Because we live in a society in which self-aggrandizement and measuring up is the only thing that matters, which means I want to keep up my appearances all the time. I won't tell you, Will, mm -hmm. that I'm having a tough time. I don't want you to think that I have flaws. Mm -hmm. So I won't even admit to myself that I have flaws. This is the toughest thing to break. But when you start to understand that it will lead to, lead to your salvation, you will start to walk more and more towards it. That's the first step. Got it. If you're spending time with loved ones for the holidays, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories, the ones you love to hear and the ones you've heard too many times. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but have you ever wanted to help your loved ones document those timeless stories? It can be challenging to write an entire book of life memories, but StoryWorth makes it fun and easy. This is how anyone can write a book about their life. I love this so much. It's such a great idea. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from the collection. Like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or what's the farthest you've traveled? All they have to do is reply with a story. And after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, memories, and even any photos into an exquisite hardcover book creating a valued keepsake. I am so excited to do this with my grandma. She's 99 years old. Hello, Phyllis. I don't think you listen to the podcast, Phyllis. But I'm so excited to get her story worth. Oh, man, I'm, I just, I'm excited to see her answers. Millions of stories have already been told with StoryWorth because they make the process so simple. Get started with your loved one for the holidays, and before you know it, you'll be cherishing those timeless stories for generations to come. Help your family share their story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash willcole today and save $10 on your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y. W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Will Cole to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash Will Cole. So I see a lot of people when I'm looking at patients and their lives and sort of the that bi-directional relationship between mental health and physical health and people have this reckoning season of their life and you mentioned divorce can be that catalyst or a health crisis can be that catalyst yeah. for many people and that could happen 20s 30s we're talking about really painful periods of people's lives that they could learn from and grow from so what do you say to the person that maybe is a people pleaser they don't really have authentic relationships and they do kind of do a lot of numbing behaviors, whether it's alcohol yes. or partying or being you know, sucked on social media. And they feel like, okay, if I start stop being a people pleaser, if I stop 
going out and drinking every weekend, I'm going to lose some friends. Of course. What does that look like? What are some tips you have for people there? Well, first of all, you will. And it's going to be okay. You won't miss them so much. <laughs> and the ones who love you or at your frequency will come back. But you have to, what you have to realize is that you're dealing with shame and you're dealing with very long patternings of unhappiness as a result of that shame, which has kept you in a place where you almost believe that you deserve suffering. Mm. So that's the first in indication that just an awareness of where you are is already going to help you. And then you can do three things. These are the three steps that I always advise people to take in their own time, in their own sequence. The first is to admit that you have a problem to yourself. You don't need to voice this to anybody else. You can write this out. I think this is out of control. I want help. I'm ready for help. Number two, share it with someone you trust and love and be okay with whatever the other side gives you. Just share it. Speak it. Shame dies in the light, any form of light. It doesn't even have to be empathetic light. It, it's, of course, preferable if it is, but it starts to die when you are willing to speak it because you're already taking such a courageous act. And number three, if you are ready, find help. Find the right support for you. You know, you're absolutely right, Will. One of the things that annoys me the most is actually when it comes to health issues because you've let it linger so long that you've had a stroke or you got breast cancer or you have manifested other disease in your life. And I have seen this many times. I also, my favorite episode of The Art of Being Well, and of course it's because I'm heavily biased, was your chat with Dr. Ellen Vora, our oh, great friend. Yes. Anatomy wonderful. of Anxiety. To start to understand this mind-body relationship is to profoundly, I think, start rooting for our well-being. And when you're ready to do that, mm -hmm. you will speak it and then you will seek help. And there's a lot of help available. Yeah. What are some resources that you have when maybe they don't have really great support system at all? Maybe their parents are kind of toxic. Yeah. Friends are not in the same wavelength and not there yet on their journey. What do you recommend? Well, that was certainly my case. My parents are not toxic. They're just old. <laughs> and older people, I think, are just a little less. I mean, I remember my mom saying, what is coaching? What is this coaching thing? So it's fine. I explained to her that I just have coffee and talk to people, and that's my job. <laughs> so basically, the most important thing here is to just understand that the resources abound and they're everywhere. The first forum is books. There is nothing better than books. We are living in a world, a universe where books are readily available now. Get this for free on YouTube. So if you don't even have the resources, get Eckhart Tolle's work, get access to Wallace Waddles's work, get access to Jen Sincero's work. Everything is available for you. Number two, podcasts. Podcasts like yours, Will, are a gift to the world. People can consume incredible amounts of inspiration at any time from a full library for free and absolutely and number yeah. three get more friends one of the things i realized that astounded me was i could actually meet more people and i met <laughs> more and more weirdos like me like when we, you and i met or like yeah. ellen and i met when i was like oh my god there's others out yeah. there and suddenly we're here. here we are <laughs> we're here together we all know each other yeah. we have new friends it's good to have new friends i love that great tips so and what I'm really hearing is to use this season of your life, no matter what painful season of your life, if you're grieving midlife or if you're grieving a divorce, if you're grieving loss of relationships or health issues, is to use this, this season as a spiritual journey. Is that fair to say? Yes, it is. And I just want to give people a promise here. If you are ready to be intentional with this period, it will lead you to the greatest segment of your life. You know what I found at the end of this segment? was who I really am, a brave, really nice person who was ready for the next phase of her life. And as a result of that, not only did I discover a new career, but my marriage and almost every other system in my life that is today 100% more authentic than what came before. So don't be afraid of the loss because what's coming is way bigger than anything you stand to lose. Yeah, it's a rebirth. It is. It's a rebirth. My friend, this has been great. I, as you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. I'm going to, this is Karen's Art of Being Well. I want to know your just different facets within your wellness routine and likes. Are you up for this challenge? Absolutely, of course. All right, perfect. First question is, what's a healthy food that's healthy, but is the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat it because you know it's good for you? I don't eat anything I do not care for. 
But if I had to choose, it would be any form of meat substitute. Fair enough. Yeah. Which I, I will you. sometimes eat because my husband prepares meat substitute meals for me and they're much healthier. And they're still garbage, by the way. They're still processed garbage, but it's much better and it does have some protein. So that's great for a vegetarian. Are you fully vegetarian? I've been a vegetarian since I was six. I did not know that. Wow. Okay, next question. What's the worst tasting healthy food that you just won't eat anymore at all? That you just like, eh, no way. <laughs> Tempeh. Tempeh. <It's> disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> What's your dream vacation? If you had to pick. Dream vacation, no, money's not an issue. I want to go home to Israel always. What part of Israel are you from? Tel Aviv. It's beautiful. So do you get to go back often? It probably was tough with the pandemic, right? Of course, it's not often enough, but I do get home anytime I get a chance. Got it. What are two supplements that have been the biggest game changers for you personally? So I read about vitamin C yesterday in your amazing newsletter, Will, and I want to tell you I'm a big fan. But the ones that really made a difference for me were vitamin D in combination with magnesium. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I am an unlikely, as you know, consumer of too many supplements. I'm just a simple person. Mm -hmm. But D and magnesium, I, don't, I can't even begin to explain the benefits. I feel lighter. I feel crisper. My weight has changed. I mean, many things have changed as a result of this. Love that. So, I mean, it's, those two are, vitamin D acts as almost a pro-hormone. It's responsible for thousands of different pathways, regulating your metabolism, energy production, regulating inflammation, magnesium, hundreds of different pathways. Really important for metabolism, converting the thyroid hormone. I could definitely... I mean, yeah. those are two core deficiencies too. I On labs, it is ubiquitous. Vi vitamin D deficiency, magnesium RBC deficiency. So I could see that. You're yeah, and you know, it also called my attention to something very strange that I don't think I was willing to acknowledge, which is that I don't spend enough time in the sun mm. outside. And so that's another thing that's changed. With that, I've also started taking more walks, spending more time outside. Love that. Now being in, in Austin, the weather's a lot more like Tel Aviv is more than New York, right? <laughs> That's right. And you know, it's funny because I thought that I was going to be brave. I'm from Israel. This heat is not going to be a problem. But I want to explain that there's a big difference. In Austin, you are basically living in Dante's Inferno. <laughs> we are on the surface of the sun. It doesn't get hotter. It's inexplicable. It's so hot. You feel like you're burning. So we do spend the summer months in-house or sometimes outside of the city. Got it. Got it. Oh, yes, for sure. Next question. Do you think we're better or worse off with social media? Much worse off. Now, I want to say that I'm a huge fan of cat videos. I love them. I love cats. <laughs> and I'm glad that we can connect with people. But social media has evolved far past. Yay, we're keeping in touch with our high school friends. Social media at this point is extraordinarily pervasive. We also know what impact it's having on young people. So the only way you can use social media proactively is by literally using social media proactively. Now, I don't think it's going anywhere. So we do have to learn how to use this medium to create and to connect rather than to infiltrate our mind and to fill ourselves with garbage and teach everyone you know to use social media proactively. Mm -hmm. well, and doesn't it? It really perpetuates that whole feedback loop, the sort of, um, I don't know, the chaos in people's lives, I think, in many ways. So how, what are some tips that you have for us to use it proactively with boundaries? My tips for social media are exactly the same tips that I have for alcohol. I am an enophile and I do enjoy wine. Unfortunately, at the age of 45, you start to discover that heartburn is awful and you, it doesn't matter if it's a Chateau Neuf du Pape, you are not drinking it if it's causing you heartburn. So the only way to truly enjoy wine, and I'm sorry if this is controversial, but let's have some fun, <laughs> is to limit it enormously. Just guard your time. Make sure this never crosses over into addiction territory. These phones, most of us, studies have indicated we check them more than 150 times a day. The average American is spending more than two hours a day on social media. That is too much of your time. It's simply too much of your time. And one of the great things about being middle-aged is you start realizing you're going to die. And is that really how you want to use your time? I don't think so. That's great advice. Great advice. We probably pissed some people off, but I'm happy about it. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I'm Jewish, so we're less likely, I think, to be a drinking culture. That's a stereotype, of course, but I think it's true. At the end of the day, um, alcohol 
in excess quantities, like social media in excess quantities is absolutely bad for you. And feel free to dispute that, but it is. Yeah. Well, when I post about the research about social media and I post about alcohol and the research of it being a not a good thing for our health and both should be, we should be looking at our relationship with both. It gets the most pushback from people because mm -hmm. it's like triggering them, right? It's like, uh, it's shining a light on their own. Exactly. And you and I talked about this when you came on my podcast so generously. That's really, they're trying to shame all of us out of our own opinion. And while it's not only opinion, it's also opinion combined with facts and research, it's completely okay for you to hold opposite opinions. The, the pushback, however, should signal to you that you might have some shame around this. If you don't, that's great. But if you do, you may want to look at your habits. Yeah, love it. Okay, we're talking about midlife. This is a good question for you. If you were able to live to the age of 100 and keep either the mind or the body of a 30-year-old for the last 70 years of your life, which would you want? The mind. 100%. The body's a meat sack. Who cares? <laughs> I went to a dinner with my team the other night and I asked this question. And it was interesting to see. I thought it would be a done deal. Like most people would pick mine, but I was surprised how many people pick body. Well, you know what? I have to tell you something. I think that they're being honest and I really, really applaud that. The most difficult thing for me that I really grapple with a lot is the decline of my physical looks. That is a real thing. <laughs> it does happen. When I was 25, I was naively poo-pooing over 40-year-olds who said it got harder. I was like, they're lazy. They're not lazy. This is real. The physical decline is absolutely real and it's very, very painful as a transition. But then you have to consider why it's painful. Mm -hmm. Why are you saying you want the body of a 30-year-old for 70 years? It is to acquiesce to a social lie, to a cultural lie that values the youth and youthful appearance of the body. If you really understood what was going on, you would ask yourself, why not have a crisp, sharp mind You're absolutely forever right. that can appreciate and absorb this life. Yeah. Yeah. It is a culture's overvaluation, sort of deification really of youth. Next question. What is one spiritual practice, specific spiritual practice or mindfulness practice that has helped you the most? I dedicate a lot of time and effort into meditation mm. and it has been the game changer because it has taken me from a barracuda that lands on issues and people immediately to a person who thinks before they move. Mm. And that has changed my life. What's meditation look like for you? There's different types. What, what's yes, your... there are. I've tried all of them. I've tried TM and uh, I really love loving kindness meditations where you just sit and reflect with love and kindness and gratitude over things. I just like thinking about my cat. But I also enjoy very much guided meditations, in particular, the meditations of Abraham Hicks. Got it. Great. And we'll put the links in the show notes for everybody at, at drworldcole.com. What's the weirdest thing you've done for your wellness that you're will, willing to admit on a podcast? Oh, yeah, I, I'm not freaky like that. So I would not get a colonic <laughs> or anything like that. But I do want to say that I agree with Dr. Ellen that the freakiest thing or the most the, like one of the last things that people think about is prioritizing your social life. I have become aggressively uh, a really pathologically social person since starting to understand how vital community is to me. So I really pursue any chance I get to see people. I think that's probably the most freaky because it also comes with judgment, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. But that's been the extent of my uh, my wellness pursuit. I love it. So what's the your favorite way to get a great night's sleep? Anybody that's struggling with sleep out there, trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, any tips you have? Yeah, I don't know how to help you because my favorite tip for sleeping is with Ryan. He's very comforting, very comfortable, and he's very smooth. But the other thing is that, I the, have is that your husband or the cat? My husband. No, the, the cat is called Moose, and she's wonderful too. No, I've always been a very good sleeper, Will. And it's funny because I drink a lot of coffee, which Dr. Vora has chastised me for. And it's never had an effect on me. I will say that I think the vital thing is sleeping environment. And so no phone in my bedroom. I read an article on GQ like 10 years ago and just stopped doing that. And so it's become a habit. My, my phone is outside my room. I don't see it in the morning. I don't see it at night. The room is dark. The sheets are crisp and the temperature is cool. And so you're just going to go to sleep like this. Yeah, that's some great tips. I've seen studies, different studies. I think the op optimal 
sleeping temperature is somewhere between 64 and 67 degrees Fahrenheit, which is colder than most people's homes. It's cold. Yeah, it's cold. I mean, here it's 69 to 72. I am Israeli, but <laughs> it's chilly for me. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what Myers-Briggs you are or Enneagram type you are? Of course I do. This I actually your- use DISC as when I use behavioral assessment, I use DISC. But Myers-Briggs, and this is probably not going to be a surprise to anyone who knows Myers-Briggs, is ENFJ. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Do you know what Enneagram you are? No. We need to find out. Need to I fi- will. Enneagram. I'll do it right after, I promise. Yes. Put, we'll have to put it in the show notes to see what... But yeah. I, I mean, I love behavioral <laughs> assessments, so... What are other behavioral assessments that you like that I'm not aware of? I use a battery of assessments called DISC Trimetrics. So the behavioral style assessment is DISC. Then there's motivators, what motivates you, what's under the hood, and acumen. How do you make decisions right now? Where are you emphasizing your decision-making process from? And they're very, very useful, particularly in combination. The reason I began using them was because of their validity. The assessments are 78% steady and accurate. And so they've been helpful. And you know, most of the coaching I do is actually in teams. It's not with individuals. So it helps you to assess very quickly swaths of styles and help people with their communication more efficiently right off the bat. Got it. So this is some someone, to get that level of assessment, is that someone something you do with someone you'd work on one-on-one or? I do, yes. And I love, because I just love the assessment. I will always caveat that it's maybe 30% of the picture. Assessments give us just a little bit of extra insight into your blind spots and a little bit more self-awareness for you. But we don't know your circumstances. We don't know what's going on right now. We don't know what your beliefs are. So we will have to take the time to actually get to know that. Got it. If you're at Starbucks, first of all, do you go to Starbucks? And yes. if you do, what's your order? <laughs> Tall Americano. <laughs> love it. I love Americanos. Very good. I just like black coffee. Yeah, me too. If you could use one skincare product and one skincare product only, what would that skin product be? Soap. What type of soap are we talking about? Hypoallergenic soap. I, I actually use a soap by, I don't think it's actually made of soap. It's by Kiehl's and it's made of calendula. Okay. That's like so it's a, a non-soap soap, but I think the most important thing for the skin is to be clean. Got it. That's a simple answer. You are a simple, when you said you're simple, that's simple. Listen, I wake up, I brush my hair, <laughs> I put some rouge on, I'm ready to go. Got some vitamin D, magnesium, and soap. <laughs> I, I, when I, so this is a really funny story. So you'll enjoy the extra minute that it takes. When I started the army, you know, in Israel, we have mandatory military service. I wasn't like this because I was socialized by Americans. So when I showed up, I had gone to American schools all my life. I show up at army base for boot camp. And I basically show up like Sergeant Benjamin, the classic Goldie Hawn movie. I had a heart shaped basket with tons of products, like three minute miracle by Aussie for my hair. And all kinds of potions for my face. It was taken away from me on day one. After three weeks, and by the way, good for them. They also <laughs> made me cut off my freshly painted French manicure. It was 1995. <laughs> After three weeks, I realized something amazing. I not only didn't miss it, it made my life much easier. Mm. And everything started to change. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not a makeup person or a treatments person. Mm-hmm. It's just in a completely different dosage today. Yeah. That's always, we used to obviously have a draft in the United States, never was like it what it is in Israel and in different countries. Do you feel like there's something, there's a, lessons that you learn, learn yes. through that? I believe that everyone should do some form of national service, preferably military service. And I am a pacifist, so that's saying a lot. Right. Number one, humility, to learn humility. Number two, discipline, which will serve you for the rest of your life. And number three, audacity. After you come out of the army, there's a reason why so many Israelis are known for their chutzpah, for their Mm. real audacity, real just let's do it kind of attitude. And that is the army. The army really toughens you up emotionally and mentally. It's also critical to note that, you know, we serve between the ages of 18 and 21. I think you go from being a child to being a grown up. And I think that many other cultures are missing that. And as a re- result, have slightly more fragile mm-hmm. individuals. There's no downside, literally no downside. Yeah. The resilience, I'm sure, just get you gain immense resilience through, the, through those years of your life. And yeah. I think it's, there's something very deep and beautiful about the, you mentioned, and I, I know we've talked somewhat about 
politics and geopolitical issues is you as a pacifist you saying in hindsight still you still see beauty there i think that that's Absolutely. some people could be thinking okay in the united states maybe we don't agree with everything that u.s military does as far as whatever nation building or interventionism and same way with you with israel's stances on things how do you maybe get past your own ego on that well, the way to get past your own ego on anything is to tether yourself to something that is bigger than yourself. And you're actually asking me a question that allows me to reflect on what the biggest thing I took away from serving in the army was, which is it is an honor and a privilege to serve. And when you understand that it's an honor and a privilege to serve, this is bigger than you. Everybody else is doing it. It is dishonorable not to serve. And that's what I love about the Israeli culture. It is dishonorable not to serve. Of course, some people have extenuating circumstances. I'm not talking about the Orthodox. That is not an extenuating or acceptable circumstance. That's a political view. However, people who are truly disabled, they're not able to serve in the army. I completely understand that. But if you are able, serve. It is an honor to serve. And I think that's where you get past the ego and into the collective, into the social. <laughs> Got it. So what are your thoughts? I'm, I, this is maybe a little bit of a left turn, but of Orthodox that, because they don't have to serve, right? That's their No, they don't. What are your thoughts they, on they that? They were cut a deal in the 50s to not serve. I think that that's not okay because if you, and by the way, they also are exempt from taxes. If you have an entire population that is bound by a certain set of rules and the other segment of the population who use usually has the most children and the most essentially burden economically on a society that is leaning socialist, as you know, mm -hmm. then technically that's not fair. And not fair is does create or seed a feeling of disgruntlement. Mm -hmm. Now, I no longer I haven't lived in Israel for the last 20 years. That's part of the reason. I definitely disagree with the, that kind of political structure, but ultimately it is my hope that they learn to serve because they are part of the country and because they want to be part of the country. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. What's a book, you mentioned a lot of great books throughout this conversation, but what's a book that you've read in the past year that really has inspired you the most? It could be fiction, nonfiction. I've been on a trip in the last quarter of rereading my favorite books. And so I, I actually have them with me. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Recognize this? Yes, yeah, the, the Four, four agreements. agreements. Yeah, wonderful book. Such a simple book. It's so perfect in every way. I just absolutely adore it. This is the little yellow book that started everything for me. You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. If you enjoy foul language and fantastic humor, <laughs> it's an excellent, excellent resource. And another one that I use because I'm inspiring a lot of people who are in the process of moving through a Difficult Time is Choose Yourself by James Altucker. And these books came out de a decade ago or so or more, and they are classics for a reason. The best books overall, I love Gay Hendricks' the, the Big Leap. I would definitely put that in that category. The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck, which also came out in the last year and I read in the last year. Everything else I have not read in the last year, so it doesn't fall in, but I publish book review or recommendation posts all the time because like you, I really like to read. And of course, I have read both of your last books. Thank you so much. And enjoyed them, as you know, thoroughly. Thank you so much. So last question. What is the best? This, this might be a difficult question. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? And who be gave it? Be easy on yourself. Be easy on yourself. You're doing better than you think. One of my teachers said that to me. You've got to be easier on yourself. And it sounds like such a, I don't know. Some people think it sounds like calm down. You need to calm down. But no, she's not saying that. She was saying, Give yourself you are grace. beating yourself up. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people can benefit from that is to bring more grace and lightness into their life. And yeah, without a doubt. My friend, this has been a wonderful conversation. Where can people learn about your work? How, how can they get plugged into all the amazing things you have? I really appreciate you having me. And any time we have a conversation, it's just wonderful. Likewise. People can find me on KarenLDad.com. It's Karen with two E's, not like the meme. And on at Coach Karen on Instagram. Those are the best places to find me or to follow what's up with my world. Thank you again and again. Oh, my goodness. Come back anytime. When's the book come out? Do we have a date? We don't have a date. Probably the fall of 2023. Don't lock me to it. And now to the cliffhanger. There are two options for the book at the moment. Okay. From Midlife Crisis to Midlife Awakening, or everything you wanted to know about midlife, but you were too afraid to ask. I love it. Which 
do people prefer? I'd love to hear. Yeah, go on social media. Let us know. Go on Karen's page. Go on my page. Let us know. You can even do Apple Podcast Review and put it there. I would say from Midlife Crisis to Midlife Awakening. I like that one. I love them both, but I think it's like powerful. There's a spiritual component to it. There's a mindfulness component to it. And it says what it is. Yeah, I love it. Well, we'll have you back when the book comes out next year. I would be thrilled. Anytime. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.